with that, I think I think we, it is uh, time to begin the new year, 2018. Yes, we skipped the first week of it, but who cares? Who gives a We're shit, back. man? <laughs> week two, baby. <laughs> Welcome to Super Duper Stitches, the paranormal podcast that is science based and uh, guys has, has fun, <laughs> is skeptical, uh, and is spooky, spooky. When possible. Yeah, that's that's also in there, and. Uh, is and in the brand new year. How yes. about that? That'll be our tagline for the rest of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Verbatim. We got to memorize that now. Nailed it. If you're a first time listener, yeah, that's basically what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah. Um, we yeah. are a couple of scientists <laughs> who like to look at paranormal stories and try and dissect them, um, but also just kind of appreciate the creepiness of the stories themselves. Exactly. Exactly. And we just stumble a lot getting there. So, yeah. You know, and you got to enjoy the stumbles. Life's about stumbling and picking yourself back up and. Just carrying on down the road and falling down again. <laughs> just a Eventually, lot of times. You get home with one egg, you bought 12. Who cares? <laughs> that one egg is all the more delightful. Yes. Now, we're doing something a little bit different for this first uh, first episode of the year. This will be right. an episode in two parts. So we're talking about extraterrestrial... Oh, my God. <laughs> extraterrestrials. We are, um, we're talking <laughs> about aliens. Aliens and ETs. UFOs, unidentified flying objects. All that good stuff. All all that X-Files shit. It's something that we haven't really hit on yet since we started the podcast. Right. So we're going to remedy that now by going all in, two parts, good times. This week times, we're going to talk exactly. more, I guess, about just kind of um, sort of background stuff and just a general what the sort of vibe is on these stories exactly. and give some examples there, of some stories. There've been, there's been some huge news recently, if you've been paying attention to, I guess, American news media, to come out of the Department of Defense which recently released two videos. Actually, I think there's three, but they, they declassified two that show purported UFOs, basically. With that in mind, I'm just going to do my quick caveat, which is that I don't typically tend to go in for ET stuff. So this news kind of hit me. Same. That's, I think that's the main field. reason we have kind of right. stayed away from this particular realm for so long. I don't think either of us really uh, buys into it as much as we no. would like to with the other topics. Especially exactly. Like, you know, cryptozoology is our go-to as biologists. With right. this, it's more like, mm. yeah, uh, are you sure? And I think I can maybe speak for both of us in saying it's not because we're averse to the idea. Sure. In we fact, both have the exact same X-Files poster. We have poster. the same X-Files poster <laughs> that says, I believe. Or, I, I want to I believe. I want to believe. <laughs> oh, mine, I'm going to scratch I want to out. <laughs> just say, I guess it'll just say believe. <laughs> it's more of an authoritarian command at that point. <laughs> you will believe in UFOs. Okay. Yeah, I think the possibility of exoplanetary life is approaching a certitude at this point even among yes. the scientific community but much of the ufo phenomena and sort of ets in general i feel like it's 90 percent of pop conspiracy in a single statement we are not alone yes and you can take that statement from any angle you want or apply it to any situation you want and that is effectively conspiracy talk so the concept of our being in the presence of something else or of there being something out there more powerful and all-knowing and other seems kind of built into our systems for some reason as humans, I think. Yeah. And it's the kind of like, I like to think of it as the hebiest of jeebies <laughs> um, that quickly finds its sort of justification given the enormous scale of the universe. How can it be just us? However, I feel the UFO ET claim is most often a multiplication by zero approach to unexplainable phenomena. So by that I mean at first blush it may feel like a reasonable solution to an empirically challenging quandary, but it is an answer that tells us nothing and is at best wild speculation. Yeah. And this is also the root of all episodes of Ancient Aliens on the quote-unquote <laughs> history channel <laughs> and the core of why so many sober viewers get up in arms over that show i think ancient aliens has churned out 12 seasons god saying about the same thing in each one which is that uh people in the past did something we don't fully understand and or they made a jump in their operating logic that seems to defy the pace at which things were otherwise occurring dudes what if it was aliens <laughs> The whole entire thesis of that show is just the idea that, oh, people couldn't have been that good at stuff back then. Yeah. Leaps in logic. Pfft. Aliens had to tell them. Yeah. You know what? And while we're at it, mythological tales, gods, 
Also aliens. Also aliens. Angels. <laughs> fantastic beings. Literally anything involving the imagination. Aliens. It's aliens, bro. <laughs> the shit was aliens. <laughs> yeah. It's conspiratorial junk food. But it's also kind of has a seduction to it, right? It has a quality mm-hmm. that is alluring, oh which my. is... <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, yeah, we don't know that it was aliens, but you can't prove it wasn't. Yeah, and the whole... That's when you're trying to prove a negative is... That's that's a lot of what the argument hangs on for the, the conspiracy theorists. Like, oh, well, you can't prove it's not. It's like, well, of course not. You can't really prove anything doesn't exist. Right, exactly. That whole kind of vibe has put me off. Either way, I think the recent announcements are that much more thrilling because they're coming from so high up on a chain of command. Anyway, I'll get to the headlines now. This is just a few of them. From December 16th, New York Times, Glowing Auras and Black Money, the Pentagon's Mysterious UFO Program. Same date, Politico, the Pentagon's Secret Search for UFOs. December 18th, Washington Post, the government admits it studies UFOs. December 22nd, Vanity Fair, we may not be alone. December 25th, Newsweek, The Telegraph, and The Independent all run something along the lines of existence of advanced UFOs beyond reasonable doubt. Oh my god, it's all, they're finally admitting it's true. (laughs) It's happened. Exactly. This is the kind of shit that like explodes the brains of the people with the, you know, news clippings with like red yarn tying pictures and names (laughs) together in their basement, you know what I'm saying? And so the news centers on two events. One was the dual exposés by Politico and New York Times on the 16th, talking about the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program, which was funded by Harry Reid, who is the now-retired senator. Harry Reid, it turns out, is a huge UFO nerd. Interesting. um, And totally into that stuff, and dumped a lot of money, I think $22 A ton of money into this program over the span of five years. That's why they mentioned in the other headline this black money Mm. thing. Program ran from 2007 to 2012, and its intention was to study unidentified flying objects, not necessarily assuming that they're alien, but with the intention of better understanding high tech. Right. So this could be from China or Russia or somewhere else with uh, an aim at... um, national defense that brings up a kind of pet peeve i wanted to touch on when we talk if we're going to talk about extraterrestrial stuff then oh we are oh we are one thing that always drives me nuts is the idea of people saying oh do you believe in ufos or oh ufos are real it's like, of course ufos are real if something's <laughs> flying you don't know what it is it's right. unidentified <laughs> but and that sounds pedantic and and ridiculous but there are so many things in the sky we don't know what they are when we see them Right. And people do really cling on to the idea that they are some kind of alien <laughs> spacecraft. Cling on. It's <laughs> funny. <laughs> I didn't mean, I mean to. Um, but there is a lot that can be explained. And right. so the kind of coverall term UFO doesn't necessarily mean that it is an alien. Right. So, yeah, this program is to try and identify unidentified flying objects. That That seems reasonable if, say, there are other countries, aircraft that we want to know more about. That's all that needs to actually mean. Exactly. And this was run by former military intelligence official Luis Elizondo, who's been the main contact for this recent news. He became frustrated with the secrecy of his agency and felt like this news needed to be be more broadly disseminated, um, particularly as the things that some of the pilots were seeing and just folks in this group were learning about started to sort of push the envelope for them as far as being like, whoa, this is something we can't even, doesn't seem like a person would be flying this craft. Let's put it that way. However, though, even within like the Pentagon and like other upper echelon sort of governmental and military, you know, establishments, this kind of topic is really, really stigmatized. And so when he would bring it up in these areas, people would just be like, "Mm, are you kidding me, dude? Yeah. Now that it's, it's over with this program's over with and that the department of defense has declassified these few videos uh elizondo's been on the move in tandem we have the videos so that's the other thing that came out and um i I figured we could maybe sit here and watch two of them we'll have the links sure um as well i'll just say ahead of time the footage is grainy and black and white natch natch 
um, and was captured by uh, U.S. Navy F.A. 18 Super Hornet, so fancy ass jet, mm-hmm. using the Raytheon ANASQ 228 Advanced Targeting Forward Looking Infrared, aka Atfler, pod. Basically, it's a really big, fancy, multi purpose camera designed to track targets and give the pilot an idea about their distance and whether they can blow them up or not. <laughs> <laughs> You know, its its main function is to lock onto a moving body in air and track it. Okay. So when you watch the videos, you'll note that the strange object is basically not moving, but that's just because the camera's tracking them around. Cool. What is the... Oh, so what would be the name of this one as far as people looking for the link in oh, the... Oh, uh, sure. We can call this one Gimbal. I think that's actually the name. Okay. Is it because of the motion tracking situation? Maybe, maybe so. That makes sense, doesn't it? It does. So... Here we go. This is the fancy soundtrack that um, To The Stars Academy has placed on the video. They give you a kind of breakdown of what you're actually seeing on the screen, which is why I prefer their footage to just raw YouTube. Yeah, it's nice. It shows each part of the heads-up display situation thing, what it actually refers to and stuff. So it's just a freeze frame right now. Sounds like a really spooky wedding there. (laughs) Dude, this is a fucking drone, bro. Oh, jeez. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. These are the pilots talking. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. Oh, thing, dude. So check it out. There's like this... There's a mass in the middle of the screen. They're just mass. cruising along, um, and they keep turning towards it. It turns, starts to rotate on its axis. Just perfectly. So that's one. Interesting. The other one is also very interesting. So, similar setup. They're telling us what we're seeing. I'll skip ahead here. Mm-hmm. This one's cool at the very end. It doesn't turn. You don't really see it move at all. But right at the end, it'll basically shoot off screen. Hmm. And that's impressive because... The sensor is meant to follow it, right? Exactly. So the speed at which it would have had to have suddenly moved would be incredible. Hmm. Kind of like just hanging out in the middle of the screen. Hanging out. As the- it would be expected to do exactly they mentioned it has this oblong shape pilots actually refer to them as tic tacs because i guess they're about (laughs) 40 feet long and basically white oblong with no you know visible wings or any kind of you know uh, applicable structure in that way the thing like wobbled a bit and the sensor regains it now it's locked center again can't really tell where in the sky the pilot is, but he's up there. Mm. He has no clouds for reference like before. Oh, it's kind of... Right. Ooh. Oh, whoa, there and it goes. And it just blasts off screen. That thing was fast. It's pretty quick. That is the footage. I think there's one more video, but I have yet to find it. I have also for you a quick spot on CNN where they interview uh, Louis Elizondo. And we could listen to that now as well, if that's cool. Sure. Purpose of the program, uh, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, was really designed to do just that. Um, from a national security perspective, identify those things that we see, whether uh, we see them electro-optically, we see them with radar, we see them uh, as, uh, as eyewitness reports, um, through a myriad of different ways and avenues that we receive the information and try to ascertain and determine if that information is a potential threat to national security, in a nutshell. So what did you find? Well, we found a lot. Um, I, think, uh, I think it's probably been a little bit mischaracterized in some of the, the, the social media you see and, and, and what people put out, because a lot of times when we don't have a lot of information, we tend to fill in those gaps with what we think is logical. Uh, And there's still, by the way, a lot we really don't know. Um, I think what's important is that we have identified some very, very interesting anomalous um, type of aircraft. (laughs) Let's call them aircraft. Things that don't have um, (laughs) any obvious flight surfaces, any obvious forms of propulsion, and maneuvering in ways um, that include extreme maneuverability beyond, uh, I would submit, the healthy G-forces of... uh, of a human or anything biological, uh, hypersonic velocities, low observability, um, positive lift, again, seemingly in, in defying the laws of aerodynamics. 
I will tell you unequivocally that that through the observation, scientific methodologies that were applied to, to look at this phenomena, that these aircraft, we'll call them aircraft, are displaying characteristics that are not currently within the U.S. inventory nor in any foreign inventory that, that we are aware of. So I know you're using, uh, you're being clear, but I mean, the answer is yes. Um, my personal, I can't speak on behalf of the government. Obviously, I'm, I'm not in the U.S. government anymore. My personal belief is that uh, there is very compelling evidence that we, uh, we may not be alone. Interesting. Pretty cool. I like, too, that he's like, I, you know, I'm not in the government. I can't speak on behalf of the government, but we're not alone. Also, by the way, <laughs> when I learned all this shit, when I got my opinion made, I was in the government. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so basically, yeah. But he does, it, as he's describing what the things are they're looking for and why they're looking for them, he's just saying that, they, you know, these are just things in the sky we can't really identify. Right. Um, not saying, oh, we, we're pretty sure they're aliens. Right, exactly. But that's, so again, it's people, he, he said, filling in the gaps themselves. Right, quite so. And I mean, right on that angle, there's been some very justifiable skepticism of all this news mm -hmm. neil degrasse tyson quipped on cnn uh shortly after this interview uh call me when you have a dinner invite from an alien which i think is pretty cute yeah. and um seth shostak who's a senior astronomer at seti at the seti institute mm. um if you don't know seti is the search for extraterrestrial intelligence um, he's been working there forever. I think he's been on a lot of shows that have to do with like making contact and like yeah. reaching into space to find these things. Anyway, he's like, you know, don't don't lose your shit too quick over all this stuff. His words, not mine. Just kidding. <laughs> no, they're my words. But he is also super confident that we'll make some kind of this jump in the next twenty years. He says, someone who is that invested in trying to find extraterrestrial intelligence, if that person is also saying, hey, don't these aren't really these reports aren't that exciting right you should probably listen to him yeah exactly he's like this is weird but it's not necessarily aliens just like you were saying jake and i mean he thinks that it'll be something more along the lines i think of like uh you know like a radio signal from deep space it'll yeah. be some kind of uh, encoded information that we can go like oh shit someone like sent out some dashes and dots from like millions of light years away boom someone reached out you know what i mean yeah the same way we're not like landing ships on a foreign planet. Someone's going to maybe pick up our little gold disc and be like, <laughs> the fuck does this mean? <laughs> That's reference to whatever that was. We have at least two, I think. I'm pretty sure Voyager and also um, Pioneer 10. Hmm. I think Pioneer 10 and maybe, I don't even remember now. That's we, fair. Our probes, we said that we have the gold, the gold record that um, has different inscriptions on it showing like a, a human male a human female a representation of the solar system and right. where we are on it right representation of um i think a hydrogen atom maybe like the that's right of that and then um the record itself plays some just different audio samples of earth stuff at the time it exactly. was made cat memes and like <laughs> i think thomas the tank engine <laughs> theme music um, and I think the Platinum Records uh, play Prince and uh, Madonna <laughs> hits. <laughs> but those I are... do actually think there might be some um, Chuck Berry on oh, the really? gold record. Oh, yeah. really? That's awesome. That's cool. But yeah, so that's the big news and especially exciting because it is coming from such a high place of authority. It's not like there haven't been purported f you know, films of UFOs for a very long time oh now. yeah but most of them are easily dismissed as hoaxes and the rest are kind of just in that that gray zone of like well, well it's something. you know it's something yeah exactly so that's the news let's talk a little bit about the olds it's a historical <laughs> just history of sightings as you mentioned people have been seeing this stuff for hundreds of years right specific references to apparently piloted craft of unknown origins really come more to the forefront in the mid-20th century Right. If you go back again to the ancient aliens thing, they'll be saying that people have reported UFOs <laughs> since like uh, the dawn of time. Yes, but really, it's like oh, there's but stuff in the sky people can't identify because it takes a while to get to the point where you can tell what you know a meteor is burning up in the sky. Or just right. things. If you don't have the frame of reference to be able to process what stuff can be, right. then there's no way you can know what it what it was. 
so it was really in the mid 20th century that this stuff began to really be like oh it's it's aliens mm-hmm. um, maybe the most famous initial accounts are of the Foo Fighters witnessed by the Allied Air Force pilots during mm-hmm. World War II mm-hmm. which started in November of 1944 uh, Foo Fighters are the name that they applied to just these weird glowing objects that pilots would see while they're up in the sky and they couldn't tell what they could possibly be they weren't other you know aircraft they weren't other piloted fighters that they called them Foo Fighters I mean just you know some kind of huh. just something else mm-hmm. really we never figured out what those were mm-hmm. so that's where it really started but after the war reports by civilians just totally took off ramping mm-hmm. up as we got deeper and deeper into the Cold War sightings continue to this day but I think the real mania has since worn off quite to the extent that it was at you know during the Cold War sure that's when it was really really big um, obviously Roswell was the biggest one right. that was in the 50s yeah, if you um, haven't heard about Roswell, just turn the show off now. Go home. Think about your life. Think about your life. <laughs> look up Roswell, then turn the show back on and keep listening. <laughs> so that's just a very brief idea of the history of where we're at. All of this is by way of kind of a forward to what this epic two-parter will be. Now you know where we're at in terms of the history of extraterrestrial sightings and encounters and where we are going into our stories this week and next so this week we're going to kind of talk about just some of the some of the stories as examples of what people report. Next right. week we're going to really dig harder into the science behind what might be going on. Right, exactly. Would you want to kick us off? Because I just talked talked everyone's ears off for um, a hot minute. Unless you'd rather I just keep going. No, you can go ahead. I can go ahead? All right. <laughs> <laughs> this is an interesting story in my opinion. My story for you today, Jake, is that of Pierre Fortunato Zanfretta. This is a lengthy account and perhaps Italy's best documented case of extraterrestrial activity. I can't say extraterrestrial (laughs) today for some reason. From here on out, if we say E.T., (laughs) you know what we mean. Yeah, exactly. And has been thoroughly corroborated by additional eyewitnesses, which is part of why I like it so much. And it's just freaking outlandish as hell. So I like that it's been that validated and yet sounds that fucking batshit nuts <laughs> that said the veracity has been debated pretty much since it occurred of course naturally yeah um so this takes place between the years of 1978 and 1980 and what i'm reading for you today is taken largely from reno di stefano's accounting of the events um he uh i've broken the multi-part uh account down into three main sections and have edited the text only a bit so, I'm assuming you translated it. I translated it from its original ancient Italian. Ancient Italian. <laughs> <laughs> into uh, <laughs> modern English. <laughs> uh, part one, first encounters. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> it was really fun. Um, so around midnight on December 20th. picturing uh, a, a meet cute now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he just drops his like pencil and an alien picks it up for him. <laughs> they lock eyes and then it abducts him and kills him <laughs> on the ship. <laughs> um, so first encounters. Oh, first encounters. How about that? Around midnight on December 6th, 1978, Piers and was on duty in Toriglia, a village near Genoa in Italy. It was a dark night, and snow had fallen during the day, so that there was a dangerous film of ice on the roads. Zanfredo was making his rounds, driving among clients' houses to make sure things were all right. I guess back at this time, you had security guards drive to your house to make sure it was cool. (laughs) But as he approached one client's uninhabited, uninhabited, (laughs) just chop off one ED from that, country house in the area of Marzano, his patrol car mysteriously stops dead. Just as the engine dies, he sees four strange lights moving around in the garden of the house. That's probably just the engine's soul leaving its body. (laughs) Exactly. Thinking that these were like the lanterns of burglars uh, Mm -hmm. looking for a way into the house, he steps out to investigate with gun and flashlight in hand. He walks through the open gate and creeps along a wall to try to get the jump on these guys. But to his surprise, feels a hand from behind. Hmm. When he spins around to confront the thief, he instead sees only inches away an enormous, green, ugly, and frightful creature with undulating skin, as though it were very fat or dressed in a loose gray tunic, uh, and no less than 10 feet tall. The uh, creature was human-like only in that it had two arms and two legs and stood upright. It had two angular protrusions from the sides of its head 
Its eyes were yellow and roughly triangular, and it had bright red veins across its forehead. Hmm. I have an artist's rendition. Oh, hell yeah. Which I'm sure you will giggle at. I'm having a trouble. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having trouble picturing that. That's great. It's very comical looking in the rendition, mm-hmm. but I am certain. Artist I, is a very, very generous term here. <laughs> I will say as well, this is the basic image you will find no matter what you do if you look for this <laughs> creature online unfortunately it's very like 1950s sci-fi thriller <laughs> but he sees that apparently well, i wouldn't be into it if it were me yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't enjoy it. if like if i actually saw that forget about it but yeah forget about it so he runs away <laughs> um and while running becomes aware of a large and very bright light behind him Turning around, he later reports that he sees a huge flat triangular form blinding in its brightness and dwarfing the house below it. It raises up or rises up from behind the home and makes this sort of hissing noise as it goes. He races back to his car, calls his security company's operations center in Genoa. Carlo Togolino, the radio operator, later testified that at 12.15 a.m., Zanfredo reached him by wire and was speaking in an excited and disconnected way and kept saying, my God, they're ugly. Tocolino then asked if they were human and if they were assaulting him. He's like, Jesus, they were so ugly. They were he just... Said, what were they? No, they were just hideous. <laughs> they were gross looking. <laughs> Probably what I would say too. And Zanfredo yelled back, no, they aren't men. They aren't men. And at that point, as if it were a sci-fi movie, the line was abruptly broken off and Tocolino called the chief of the security service, Lieutenant Giovanni Casiba, for help. Um, an hour later, around 1.15 a.m., a couple other patrol guards, Walter Loria and Raimondo Mascia, found Zanfreda in front of the country house, lying on the ground. When Zanfreda saw them, he jumped up with his gun drawn and didn't seem to recognize them, hmm. nor to understand when they told him to lower his weapon. When they finally subdued him, they later reported his clothes felt very warm despite the cold and damp December night air. Hmm. The event was so disturbing that the uh, Carabinieri, which are like the Italian military police, the Carbonara, (laughs) were called in to investigate uh, Carbonara. They discovered clear imprints in the frost-covered grass uh, around the back of the country house that seemed to be left by some large and heavy object. Hmm. Uh, Each was horseshoe-shaped and around nine feet in diameter. Wow. So pretty pretty massive. Antonio Nucci, the commandant of the Terriglia security station, uh, stated that he had every confidence in the testimony given by Zanfreda. He had known Zanfreda for many years, and when asked what he thought about Zanfreda, answered, I can state with certainty that he is a clear-thinking man with no strange fantasies in his head. When we went to investigate the scene the next day, he almost didn't want to come. He was so scared. Only something exceptional could have frightened him so. Furthermore, during the investigation, Nucci also discovered that 52 residents of nearby Terriglia, well, I guess the the main township of Terriglia, saw a bright glare in the direction of the country house at the same time Zenfreda reported seeing it ascending. All right. Needless to say, the press has a field day with the story. Yeah, Um, I can imagine. Especially back then. They went buck wild, and the consensus was that it was a load of crap, Um, Mm. but it was still fun. Yeah. And some fun crap. Some fun crap. <laughs> Who hasn't played with their crap? Come on. <laughs> Am I alone in this? Why is everyone walking away? Um, and this is the point at which Rino De Stefano enters the picture. Uh, De Stefano could not rationalize why a husband and father who was engaged in a respected profession uh, would jeopardize both his career and his reputation in the community by making up such a crazy story. And so he takes it upon himself to contacts and freda to sort of give him uh you know a compassionate ear basically to his experiences he was just really sold by zanfreda's sincerity uh, particularly given that zanfreda uh upon you know personal conversation made it really clear that he just hated all the attention he was getting mm. and was really concerned for his family in the face of so much press and public attention well that's that's interesting and that's cool. Yeah. So much of the time you people say, oh, well, they just, they just wanted their 15 minutes of fame or whatever. Right. But he's really not into it at yeah, all. the dude was straight put out. So a few weeks later on December 23rd, Zanfreda agrees to undergo hypnosis to hopefully shed more light on what actually happened on that night. Um, so if you don't know, folks who think they've been abducted or in close contact with ETs often report gaps in their recollection and hypnosis is thought to sort of free up those buried or wiped memories. 
unfortunately it also kind of opens you up to suggestion but mm. we can get into that perhaps in another episode but anyhow during the session Zenfreda confirms that not only had he seen these beings from another world but he had actually been abducted by them hmm. he claimed that the creatures had transported him into a hot luminous lo- location where they uh, examined and interrogated him they did not speak Italian, surprise, surprise, <laughs> but used a strange, quote-unquote, luminous device to translate what they were saying. During the same session, Zenfreda indicated that the creatures came from the planet Titonia, uh, which was located in the, quote, third galaxy, and that, quote, they want to talk with us and that they will soon return in larger numbers. Hmm. End of part one. Part two, worse encounters. Oh, no. So three days later, this is December 26th now, around 11.45 p.m., it's a rainy night, and Zanfreda... Yeah, there you go. Zanfreda was driving his patrol car, returning gifts through the Bargagli Tunnel near the Scafera Pass, you know, like he always did, and uh, suddenly loses control of the vehicle. He immediately radios in and reports that his car is driving of its own accord. The car emerges from the tunnel and continues up a steep incline on its own, apparently. Wow. The security company radio operator later claimed that Zenfreda called in speaking in what he described as, quote, a very controlled voice and stated that the car has stopped. I saw a bright light. Now I'm getting out. Much like the first incident, Zenfreda and his vehicle were discovered around an hour later at 1.10 a.m. by another pair of security guards. The first man to spot Zenfreda was Sergeant Emmanuel Travenzoli. Uh, Travenzoli stated that he found Zenfreda in a field near the road, and despite the continuing downpour, his clothes were warm and dry. Hmm. Travenzoli also claimed that Zenfreda was in a state of shock, quivering and weeping. And finally, uh, he, as in Zenfreda, declared, They say I must leave with them. What about my children? I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, Once again, the uh, Carbonara were called in. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Carabinieri. Delicious. And when they, after they arrived on the scene, they found that even though Zanfreda's car had been exposed to that evening's downpour for an extended period of time, the roof was as hot as one that had been in the scorching sun of like a summer day. Wow. And the interior was, quote, as hot as an oven. Hmm. They also discovered that the car was surrounded by inexplicably large boot prints measuring 20 inches long by in- inches wide. There's actually a photo, and I have outlined the imprints for okay. you. Okay pretty crazy yeah there's uh, we'll have an image up online too they then came across zanfreda's revolver a smith and wesson 38 special which they which had been fired five times though zanfreda could not recall at whom or what he had fired the weapon Hmm. so it's at this stage that the carabinieri informed the italian department of of the interior and other military commands of the incident and went on record vouching for the reality of the strange events their concerns were partly rooted in the fact that in december of 78 there were so many UFO sightings across Italy that Falco Akame, a former member of the Italian parliament, asked both Italy's premier, uh, Giulio Andriotti, and Minister of Defense, Attilio Ruffini, to inform the Italian Congress about their opinion concerning the nature of the recent UFO sightings and what threats they may pose to the citizens of Italy. Wow. So stuff was just popping off, yes. as they say, <laughs> in a rather E.T. fashion. Um, meanwhile, Zanfreda's employers were kind of concerned about the publicity as well as his mental state and asked uh, neurologist Dr. Giorgio Giannotti to examine Zanfreda. Um, his diagnosis was that while Zanfreda was very much in a state of shock, he was also perfectly sane. His conclusions helped to improve Zanfreda's accountability, uh, uh, credibility, excuse me, but... Um, Zanfreda still agreed to go under hypnosis once again with the hope and, oh, excuse me, this time he consented to allow it to be televised as well. Oh, wow. So I have that footage and I'll play just a little bit of it just so you can hear what it sounds like. Okay. It's going to be in Italian, so you'll understand everything. So he's not enjoying it. He's not having fun at all. In the image, you can see he's very clearly... Out cold. Out cold. And in fact, I sat and watched this whole video. It's about an hour long. When the hypnotist character is putting him under, 
one of the sort of exercises he does with him before he even gets into asking him about his experience, which he does a very good job of as well. He doesn't prime him for anything. He's just like, take me back to that night. Tell me everything you see. Have fun, you know? And he just (laughs) goes through the whole experience. Okay. Instead of like, do you see an alien now? Is the alien attacking you? You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, oh, now that you mentioned it, yeah, he fucking is. Um, But one of the things he does when he's got him under is he like numbs his hand on, you know, air quotes here. He like suggests to him that his hand is in a bucket of ice and getting like numbed by the cold to the point where he can't feel it at all. And he like taps his hand a few times. He's like, do you feel anything? He's like, no, I don't. And then he takes a fucking pin and sticks it through his hand, like through the skin of the back of his hand. It's pretty gruesome. I mean, there's no blood or anything, but he's like clearly like for the camera, like check it out. And the <laughs> look dude, what I did to this guy. Look what I did to this guy. Yeah, he, he draws a mustache on him. He <laughs> <laughs> puts his other hand in warm water, makes yeah. pee. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, the, I mean, and Zanfredo the whole way through is just like, mm-hmm. I didn't feel anything. So pretty, pretty crazy. He was like under. During the interview, Zanfredo recalls his whole experience. He is abducted and restrained. He's stripped and forced by his captors to wear a strange helmet, um, which enables him to understand their language, but causes him tremendous pain. And basically throughout the video, he's asking them to take the helmet off because it's just like hurting his head so badly. Hmm. Um, He describes in some limited detail a strange machine that they use on him and is at one point temporarily blinded by some means. He sounds also very confused by everything that's happening to him, even during his hypnotic, you know, recollections, which further kind of convinced me that he may have experienced something that even in his memory, he's not like, now they're doing this to me. He's like, what are you doing? Why is this happening? What's going on? At one point, one of the aliens takes his gun and fires it into a quote unquote panel. Interestingly, Zanfreda does not seem to be able to hear this happening, but rather sees it occur and then expresses fear uh, about it. Um, he also is afraid that he may be required to leave his home and family behind quote I know that you need me, but I don't want to I like to be alone. I have two children I feel good this way and after all you're not human beings. You are horrible <laughs> He also laughed. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he went on like another like 10 minute rant about how ugly they are. Yeah, you're so gross <laughs> Just taking them to task um, So hundreds of thousands of viewers watched this video but um, unfortunately, it, it was kind during of sweeps week. It was during sweeps week. Okay. Um, instead of clearing his name, it only exacerbates the ridicule, basically. Oh no! And so he lies low as he possibly can. When things have finally quieted down, he was abducted again. Oh no! So this is part three, the final part: collateral damages and the mysterious orb. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of where shit starts to fly off. Um, so in total, Zanfredo would be abducted seven times. My God. Um, I'm omitting the third abduction story because it's fucking boring. He's abducted just sat in a room for four hours yeah. and then... <laughs> they forced him to read all back <laughs> issues of Time magazine. <laughs> He's like, these aren't even relevant things anymore. Um, the fourth occurred at about 10.30 p.m. on Sunday, December the 2nd, ni- uh, 1979. So this is almost exactly a year after mm. his first experience. This time, Zanfreda disappears while driving in the suburbs of Genoa. While searching for their missing friend, four patrol guards claim to have clearly seen a very strange cloud-like object floating above them. I also want to say, if I were one of those guards and they were like, go look for Zanfreda, he vanished again, I'd be like, fuck that shit. (laughs) I'm going to do anything else. I'm going to wait an hour, find him when he turns up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Also, as Zanfreda, why do you keep working this job? Do something else that doesn't have you driving around at night in these spooky (laughs) roads and shit. Anyway, these guys are looking at this freaky low-flying cloud when suddenly two beams of light shoot out and illuminate their cars. Whoa. The vehicle's engines both stop dead, and the guards get out of their cars for a better look. The chief, Lieutenant Kasiba, became so frightened by the sight that he fires his pistol at the cloud, basically. Uh, the lights vanish, and the cloud slips away. They later find Zanfreda, but the experience was freaky enough that one of the guards in the search party, Germano Zanardi, ends his life months later over the encounter. Wow. He was that, like, I can't go on. I'm too freaked out now. Damn. It's at this point that the Zanfreda case takes its most climactic and weird turn for me. And probably for everyone who hears this. Monday, December 3rd. So it's the very next night, basically. He uh, Zanfredi gets out of his patrol car at a self-service gasoline station near downtown Genoa. 
He later claimed... He went back to work the next night? I tell you, man. I, he doesn't the learn. Is, he's just very dedicated to he's, his job. He is the most dedicated... You know, and like, yeah, keep that man hired. I'd be like, you fucking <laughs> really want to be a security guard, dude. On the one hand, he's like a huge liability because he keeps getting abducted by aliens. <laughs> exactly. On the other, it's like, go straight back to work again. The man just does not quit. <laughs> yeah. Did you even sleep last night, dude? You were abducted by aliens. <laughs> like, I don't know. Probably. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Fuck it, man. Let me get back in that car. <laughs> Um, he later claimed that he heard someone calling out to him from the shadows and outside the station, um, and described seeing a tall humanoid figure with a bald quote, egg shaped head who was dressed in a checkered suit that included a chest plate made of quote steel and interesting. Outfit. I, it's quite a funny outfit by the sound of it though. When I was digging the story up, there were some comments by either, you know, site visitors or site hosts that made reference to the Grinning Man and the Mothman prophecy type shit. Okay. G, uh, uh, Men in Black type stuff. Okay. I'm not really familiar with those those tales, but I guess there's enough of well, an overlap. Uh, <laughs> uh, spoiler alert. Um, so Zanfretta swore that the sound of the character's voice physically compelled him to obey its requests, and it basically orders him to drive his vehicle into a small cloud. I wonder what it is with these small clouds. <laughs> also, I'm now suddenly wondering... If the Mario games are not just <laughs> an allegory for Zanfretta's experience, because you can fly Look around on clouds yeah. on those fucking things. Yeah, so that the cloud is hovering just above the ground. He drives in, and he and his patrol car were levitated within the cloud and deposited onto a huge spacecraft. Um, on board the ship, Zanfretta was allowed to explore in the company of these large aliens he'd seen before. Uh, within the craft, Zenfreda claimed to have seen large transparent cylinders filled with a weird blue liquid. Um, one of the cylinders was said to have contained a large frog-shaped body, which the aliens described as an enemy of theirs. Hmm. In other cylinders, Zenfreda observed a large bird-like creature, and in another, a humanoid figure that he described as looking like a, quote, caveman. I just imagine them pointing to the frog. They're saying, see that guy? Total asshole. Yeah. <laughs> He's a jerk, man. <laughs> He's like, whatever, he still looks better than you guys. <laughs> you look horrible. It's also during this time, during his relatively relaxed visit, <laughs> um, that the beings attempted to give him a transparent sphere with what appeared to be an electrically charged pyramid inside. Hmm. They claimed that utilizing the sphere would enable human beings to, quote, comprehend who they were and how they live, unquote. Zanfreda tried to refuse the gift for some reason, but the creatures insisted that he accept it and told him that he was to give it to Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who was a noted American scientist and UFO <laughs> researcher at the time. Uh, Zanfreda, of course, did not know this man, but instead of delivering the object, and for reasons only clear to him, claims that he hid it somewhere in the hills near Genoa. Okay. And yeah, for me, I'm like, this is my moment of extreme doubt yes. in the whole of it all and finally under hypnosis following yet one more abduction even after this man uh zanfredo was uncharacteristically uncooperative um while under he claimed that he was contacting the aliens and began to speak an odd unknown language his voice became guttural and he uttered cryptic phrases like question with negative answer tixel you can't work out anything in a case like this to believe or not to believe doesn't mean anything each thing in its own time Hmm. I wish we had the footage of that one. Yeah. They really only filmed the the one that I played a little bit of earlier. And that is largely that. The one optimistic feature in all of this is in the filmed session that you guys can watch. He says something along the lines of, you can't make friendship here. You'll scare everyone. That plus, if we are to take his story as legitimate, the idea of an alien race attempting to share some kind of cosmic knowledge with us perhaps makes for an oddly positive spin. Yeah. Like maybe they can't, they did come in peace as the trope goes. But uh, yeah. Very, very cool. Whether that you believe a, it or not is up to you. That's a wild story. It's wildness. But again, extremely thoroughly corroborated and um, fanciful as, as these tales typically are. It's kind of funny. You almost can't tell an extraterrestrial encounter story without it being like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they get so outlandish so quickly, but they're literally just really, <laughs> they're just very, very interesting. Right. Well, how about that? How do you do that? So that's a good idea of a kind of a sample story of 
what a UFO abduction story can be like, what an encounter sort of situation can sound like. What I'm going to talk to you about is what can happen afterward. Oh, shit. So my story is comprised of various quoted articles compiled, i.e. copied and pasted, (laughs) on the very reputable sounding (laughs) humansarefree.com. Like I said, it's all copied and pasted from other articles, so... You talking about (laughs) half.com? Yes, so as conspiratorial as this particular site is, they didn't add any wording to boost the conspiracy levels at all. The conspiracy levels are off the charts. Oh, my God. Um, here, I'm giving them shit for copying and pasting. That's exactly what I did. So uh, the first <laughs> portion here is quoted directly from a Huffington Post article by Lee Spiegel. Alrighty. Begins thusly. 1947. Harold Dahl reported seeing a group of UFOs while he was on a boat in Washington's Puget Sound. Soon after, he said, he was approached by a black-suited individual who threatened him and his family if he ever talked again about the UFO sighting. Hmm. 1967. Robert Richardson was driving his car at night in Toledo, Ohio, when he hit something, which he claimed then vanished. Hmm. He found a piece of metal that he believed originated from the mysterious thing he hit. A few days later, two men wearing black hats and sunglasses and driving a black 1953 Cadillac visited Richardson at his home at 11 p.m. to ask questions. Weird. A week later, two other men arrived dressed in black suits and asked Richardson to turn over the medal to them. <laughs> I'm just wondering if when they showed up at night to ask him questions, the questions were just like random, like, what's your favorite color? <laughs> what time is it right now? <laughs> what did you have for dinner tonight? <laughs> they just leave. All right, thanks. Good night. <laughs> uh, when he informed them that he had sent the piece of metal in for analysis, uh, they threatened to harm his wife if he didn't get it back. Weird. He never heard from them again. But why? Who were, and in some cases still are, these <laughs> strange individuals who give out seemingly meaningless warnings about UFO sightings <laughs> For real. and try to intimidate people? <laughs> Quote, they are the archetypical sinister person who turns up on the doorstep specifically in relation to a UFO encounter, said Nick Redfern, author of The Real Men in Black. Oh. Quote, people who have have been visited by men in black tend to fall into two categories. One is the UFO witness. The other category is researchers who have been visited. Redford told the Huffington Post, I'm going straight to the man in black. Right? That's the theme song to this. (laughs) Exactly (laughs) right. (laughs) (laughs) After digging closely into the history of many reported (laughs) men in black encounters, Redford thinks he has a good handle on what may be going on. Quote, what we have, I'm pretty sure is a sort of covert department or office or personnel within the uh, official infrastructure. (laughs) There are people who dress in black deliberately and go around and threaten people in certain circumstances relative to UFOs, he suggested, Mm -hmm. as opposed to dressing in black by accident. I don't know. Yeah, they're not just goths, guys. (laughs) Quote, and they look like what you see in the Men in Black movies. They look like agents of the government, like Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, (laughs) And they issue veiled warnings not to talk about their UFO encounter. Hmm. Uh, but then there are the creepier Men in Black stories that emerge, uh, like the one told by Dr. Robert Hopkins. Okey-doke. The respected family physician from Old Orchard Beach, Maine, was home alone on the night of September 11, 1976. At the time, Hopkins was studying a UFO incident. The phone rang, and a man's voice identified himself as a representative of a New Jersey UFO organization, <laughs> which turned out to be phony. Uh, he wanted to know if he could come here and talk to me about the UFO case. He also asked if I was alone, and I said yes. <laughs> Hopkins told this reporter in 1978 for Weird. a story broadcast on NBC Radio. When Hopkins walked from the phone to the door and turned on the light, the man was already coming up the steps. What the fuck? Quote, if he was even as close as across the street or next door telephoning, he could not possibly have gotten here as soon as I did to turn on the light for him, recalled Hopkins. When the stranger came in, Hopkins was struck by his appearance. Quote, he wore a neatly tailored black suit, black shoes, black socks, a white shirt with black tie, and he wore a black derby. You don't see derbies very often, and I thought to myself, mm. this guy looks like uh, just like an undertaker. When he Ooh. sat down, he removed his derby. This character was bald as an egg. Oh, he didn't shit. even have eyebrows or eyelashes. It looked like he had smooth plastic skin, like a doll, except that it was a dead white color, Hopkins said. Oh, that's fucking weird. His lips were a brilliant ruby red, and he spoke in an expressionless, monotone, scanning speech. He constructed no phrases and sentences, just a sequence of words evenly spaced. I like how much it just seems like what you would do if you wanted to go incognito and you were an alien kind of thing. Yes. Like, I am a human. Look at my humanness. <laughs> Look how human I am. Yeah. Look at all the human stuff I'm wearing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, his voice was completely passive with no inflection or intonation, as if you were hearing it from a machine that could talk. 
During the short time they were together, Hopkins and the strange man talked about the UFO case that the doctor had been investigating. Hopkins also noticed other very odd things about this man in black. He sat perfectly motionless and wore gray suede gloves. He idly brushed his lips with the back of a glove. When he put his hand down, the back of his glove was bright red and the red on his mouth was smeared, so I knew he was wearing lipstick. Oh, shit. Then I could see that his mouth was a perfectly straight slit. Apparently, he did not have what we call lips, so the lipstick was put on as a decoy. His mouth is more like a ventriloquist dummy. Mm. The odd visitor told Hopkins to take a coin out of his pocket and hold it in the palm of his hand. He said, watch the coin, and it started to develop a silver color instead of copper. And then the silver became bluish, and the penny was getting quite fuzzy and out of focus, blurred, and then it simply was gone. It slowly dematerialized. Following the coin magic, the stranger ordered the doctor to destroy all information he had gathered about the UFO case. Quote, as he spoke his last words, I noticed his speech was slowing down. His words became slower and farther spaced. He slowly got to his feet, unsteadily, and he said very slowly, My energy is running low, must go now, goodbye. <laughs> Just like that. Hmm. Hopkins said that the man in black, whoever or whatever he was, clung tightly to the railing as he went down the steps outside, placing both feet on each step, and then disappeared around the corner into a bright light. When the chilling encounter what? was over, a terrified, intimidated Hopkins destroyed all traces of any UFO materials he had. What the fuck? So who are the real men in black who have scared people for decades? Are they government agents trying to spread disinformation about UFOs? Mm. But for what purpose? Quote, the men in black movies are very entertaining, but they portray one angle of a mystery that is actually two-pronged, said Redfern. Hmm. You've got this government conspiracy angle, but you've also got this gothic, archaic mystery that ties in as much with the occult and paranormal as it does with flying saucers. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking about the men in black. Now, going into this, I, yeah, I'd seen the movie, the 1997 movie, a lot of fun. And all I really understood about them was the idea of them just being government agents who are really their whole thing is covering up alien encounters right having so much fun <laughs> shooting all those crazy weapons yes. and stuff and like playing around but um, there's that one part he like wipes the mind yes and then and they like they're all messed up <laughs> over the guy's <laughs> wife who can't find anymore wearing an Edgar suit i was gonna say the cockroach bug face guy the cat with the thing anyway so now that we've synopsized the movie um it turns <laughs> out i guess like the majority of these stories really describe the men in black as being a lot weirder than just government agents almost like they're trying to appear as though they are government agents but aren't uh so this next part i have is from weirdworm.com mm-hmm. it's written by mark ball in a piece called three unbelievable encounters with the real men in black these are all quotes hmm. uh, another men in black encounter perhaps the strangest of all took place in the seaside town of scarborough north yorkshire in 1968 hmm. adele a pseudonym who was 16 at the time answered the door to what appeared to be a very strange insurance salesman. He was tall, wore a black suit and tie, and had a florid complexion. After staring at the 16-year-old and smiling for an unnerving length of time, he jerked into action and asked Adele, Do you have insurance? Is it now? Adele later remarked that his voice seemed to be computerized. Is it now, he says? I I think that's supposed to mean, is it current? Oh, yeah. Sounds Sounds like Roy Moore so far. Yeah. And I don't know if this is all in a Yorkshire accent. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Um, She suggested that the insurance salesman come back later when her parents were home. At that moment, the man suddenly began to sweat profusely. He removed his hat to reveal a bald and extremely pale head. Del could now see that he was wearing makeup to darken his face. Can I see a glass of water? The man in black asked. Inviting the man in because this was before stranger danger, Adele fetched him a glass of water and he did just that. He looked at the glass of water and set it aside. Next, he turned his attention to a clock on the mantelpiece. Adele told Mm. the man in black that the clock was her father's retirement present, at which he seemed baffled. Is it your father's time, he asked? Is it here and now? Then the man in black seemed to freak out like a malfunctioning robot. He began repeating, your father, his time, over and over, and became stiff and immobile. Turning to the door, he had to use his hands to move one of his legs. He told Adele to watch the lights before leaving in a hurry, disappearing down the street impossibly quickly. Wow, what the hell? What did he mean when he said, watch the lights? Adele would soon find out. Shortly after the man in black left, Adele's living room filled with small bright lights, which danced around before exiting through the window. Was this a robotic man in black agent built by aliens and sent to add a little magic to the sleepy Yorkshire town? (laughs) Or is it just a sweaty creeper with alopecia and a laser pen? (laughs) (laughs) We will never know. (laughs) Yes. 
So uh, the last excerpt I have is um, from Men in Black, Still Alive and Kicking by Nick Redfern, who has established has fully bought into this stuff. Yes, He's the man in black himself. (laughs) Yeah. As is always the case when I lecture on the subject of the men in black, I always make it very (laughs) clear that the real men in black are actually nothing like their on-screen versions portrayed by Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. What a freaking entry, by the way. He's like, as I always like, I'm like over-lecturing on the men in black. I'm so into this shit, guys. And I always have to remind people they're not like they are in the movies, guys. Guys, guys, they're not fun. They're not goofy. They don't have a good buddy cop Yeah, they're rapport. not bros. They're fucking creepy, guys. Come on. <laughs> Actually, the very first scripture he gives. Rather, the real world men in black are very creepy, weird, sickly, <laughs> sickly looking creatures that look part zombie, part vampire, and part anemic. <laughs> if you look at my face, I try to fashion myself <laughs> after them. <laughs> not only that. And as I also pointed out in my lecture, whereas most people assume the men in black only ever target and terrorize people in ufology, that's very far from the truth. As I told the audience, there have been men in black encounters at Loch Ness, Scotland, involving cryptozoologists and eyewitnesses at, uh, to the monsters at the loch. Oh, come on. I have several cases on file where people using Ouija boards receive visits of the men in black kind. Oh, no. These are, uh, there are demonic parallels. Oh, no. There is the time travel theory to explain the men in black and their weird antics. And there are even women in black, a subject on which right now I'm writing a full-length book. <laughs> in other words, the men in black puzzle is a wide and varied one that extends far outside of the confines of ufology. Well, as is usually the case when I do a lecture, write a book, or take part in a sh- radio show, people contact me to ask questions or to make observations. <laughs> He's so over it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they also, very often, share personal stories. And with regard to the latter, that was most certainly the case regarding the men in black. I know from speaking to people, and this goes for both witnesses and the UFO research community, that there is often an assumption that the men in black are something of the past, something that revolved around the likes of Albert Bender's men in black-based experiences of the early 1950s, and the Men in Black links to the Mothman affair of the 1960s. But there, uh, that's very far from being accurate. Indeed, the Men in Black have never really gone away at all. Rather, they are simply extremely good at hiding under the radar. But for those dark-suited visitors, there's one fatal flaw in their sinister and covert activity. It's when their cover is blown and the witnesses decide to come clean and reveal their experiences, even in the wake of chilling Men in Black intimidation. And that's exactly what happened over the course of the weekend, both before and after my lecture on the Men in Black. I'm used to getting Men in Black reports on a regular basis, hmm. but at the MUFON gig, the reports came tumbling out. And guess what? Well, one or two of the reports would cert- uh, could certainly have been the result of visits from or surveillance by mm-hmm. people at an official level. The majority of the 15 or so accounts I received were of the classic Men in Black type. The tired old Men in Black story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> classic Men in classic Black. Classic, guys, this is just classic Men in Black. <laughs> That's to say, the pale-faced, scrawny, staring-eyed, fedora-hat-wearing kind. <laughs> and almost all of them dated from as late as the last decade or so. Oh, my God. Uh, there were two cases involving old-style black cars of a type that would have been right at home in some old black-and-white gangster movie of the 1950s. Uh-huh. And to my amazement, I got no less than three accounts of the woman in black variety. <laughs> Interestingly, of the testimony provided to me, two of the witnesses described men in black confrontations that utterly lacked any UFO links whatsoever but that revolved around the domain of the occult. Collectively, this tells me several important things. The men in black have not gone away. They haven't even bothered to upgrade or change their modus operandi or fashion sense. They're as, fashion curi- sense. <laughs> they're as curiously out of time as they always have been. Uh, they are still keeping careful and clandestine watch on matters of a paranormal nature that extend far beyond the mystery of UFOs. And I'm extremely gullible for yes. any kind of thing that has to do with men in black. We may be no closer to really knowing who or what the men in black are or from where they originate, but they are still out there, still knocking on doors late at night and still provoking fear and dread whenever they appear. Hmm. So these are just kind of like what the usual stories sound like for the men in black. True. When I was doing research into the black eyed children a few weeks back. Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking people, about that as you were talking. There's about a lot this. of similarities there, and there were um, even people who, everyone who fully buys into these kind of things, also like the idea of every single creepy possible story uh, existing within a shared canon. canon. <laughs> and yeah. So people are suggesting <laughs> that maybe black-eyed children are actually the children of Men in Black. Oh Lord. Yeah, and um, and like oh, if the parents arrive, they happen to be like they are Men in Black, and that is. Yeah. Oh boy. None of that makes any sense. No. The only thing that makes sense is that okay, they are similar kinds of encounters. Whereas you know, creepy right. people showing up at your door <laughs> and being weird 
other than that, and like the idea of the kind of not quite human aspect, the uncanny valley weirdness. It is very strange sounding. I mean, yeah. it make, kind of makes me want to experience it on some strange level. I Just don't know. to be able to have your own take on you know, yeah. how much of the story after the fact is kind of exaggeration or um, embellishment. Yeah, exactly. Uh, how much of it is you know people having already heard about a story like that in the past or how much of it is just from whole cloth have there been like more recent accounts i wonder or i guess i would wonder it's, i um, also because it just seems like the kind of thing that uh lends itself so, so much to verbal retelling but could be so easily put on film i mean this was one of the criticisms about the or, or, or rather, why don't we hear these stories from elsewhere in the world? Yeah. You know, like, it, this was one of uh, Seth Shustak, this dude with uh, SETI. Yeah. His big criticism of the whole release of the DOD here on the videos and stuff, he's like, all right, well, why would it just be the U.S. government talking yeah. about this? Like, if, if it truly is, like, extraterrestrial visitation on the planet, wouldn't you think that they'd be going everywhere and not just like why would they center themselves on usa right and also on the counterpoint if they are doing that if there is something going on why wouldn't anywhere else be dropping little truth bombs here and there like yeah you know why would we all be equally tight-lipped what's the big deal about popping true about et being around right that's why i do like that one of these stories was from you know northern england and that's um, yeah that's true and there have like I one story I didn't include I found on Reddit uh, of someone talking about a, a similar kind of encounter that sounds a lot like all of these that someone had in the pretty recent past like someone I think it was within the last um you know within the last like five or ten years right um so stuff seems to still be going on like this or at least people still have encounters that they feel fit the same sort of pattern I do want to mention a just a little a short excerpt I have from a 1995 book called The Gods Have Landed, huh. New Religions from Other Worlds Sounds by James R. Lewis. Dangerously close to that dude on Ancient Aliens. Yes. Chariots of the Gods or whatever he's got. Oh, there. yeah. But this, oh, boy. You'll, I think you'll like the direction this goes. Please, please. Which is to say the complete opposite direction. All right. Good deal. Good deal. Uh, he has a really great quote about these sorts of stories being filled with all the characteristics of folklore from yeah. all cultures and all of history. Yep, yep, yep. He says, quote, among the common characteristics of these accounts is that they all seem to happen at twilight or at night. Aggressive behavior occurs in all types of folktales. In the case of flying saucer stories, the abductees are usually taken by force and subjected to medical examinations. Right. Uh, and he refers to, he has a lot of different like citations in his book. Uh, Sanarov is of the opinion that flying saucers and the little green men that operate them and abduct humans have no objective reality. <laughs> they are yep. instead symbolic of the level of social development, the cultural situation, and the beliefs of those who report their experiences. Uh, he then goes on from there to ascribe these same characteristics to the men in black stories. Quote, Stories of men in black who confront those who have witnessed a UFO with the intention of persuading them to keep their knowledge of space creatures a secret are also amenable to a folkloristic analysis. Mm -hmm. They have parallels to strange people who visit those who have come in contact with monsters. Peter Reykowicz sees both resemblances and differences between the descriptions of the men in black and more traditional appearances of the devil. Mm -hmm. He raises the question whether the visits of the men in black can, at times at least, be considered a kind of psychological drama. Huh. Unlike the majority of social scientists and folklorists, Reykowicz seems willing to consider the possibility that some real experiences may lie behind the bizarre tales of the men in black. So he, I like you know, this guy's saying, you know, there may be some actual real event that has happened. Something's happened. That is yeah. the basis of these things. Maybe all these people have had some kind of weird visit. Right, right. But ultimately, what we're likely looking at here is an unexpected visit from a very official seeming G man afterward taking on much weirder characteristics once huh. that imagination pot gets stirred. <laughs> okay. I like that. It is strange, the robotic aspect. Like, the certain details are still so conspicuous and weird. Yeah, as far as... Um, the baldness. The baldness, the... Some people, because there's different takes on, like, are they robots? Are they lizard right. people? Are they... Like, a bunch of different things, <laughs> like, p different uh, interpretations, all of which seem to be uh -huh. impersonating humans. Right, In right. some way, some whatever kind of... they actually are, it's hard to say. I mean, if it were a robot, you'd think they could make the outer part look more correct. Yeah, right. <laughs> Wouldn't require makeup. It would just be, oh, you know, you just made me think of, what's that? Have you seen this recent video of, um, I want to say it's something like MIT, some robotics research lab, they're working on bipedal movement. Oh yeah. And 
you know, you've maybe seen these videos where like they have the robot sort of shuffle up to a box and the dude pushes the box out of the way and the robot has to readjust. Yeah. He'll be walking on two legs, leans over to pick it up. Anyway, they have been working on this nonstop and they have video now of this robot that like can walk on two legs like downhill really well and uphill and like correct itself really well when the box is pushed away, all these other things. But the thing that creeped me out the most and is really kind of cool to see is it can jump around really well. And it can jump from like little box to little box hmm. and it can even do a backflip and a high jump and like all this kind of stuff. And when it does do these jumps, for some reason, the motion is so fluid and so almost organic looking. It's very creepy. Oh, cool. It's very cool. I'm actually going to see if I can punch up a video really quick. Yeah, go for it. I, I, I haven't seen the most. I, I remember seeing that coming up kind of like with the UFO thing. I saw it in my news feed and said, yeah, okay. I didn't bother because... Um, Oh, They're, here like, we yeah, go. So the same lab. Be very afraid. Robots can now do backflips. <laughs> They've been a lot of different. Like they've done a lot of cool stuff with walking robots. Um, oh, that's pretty cool. Look at that shit. Wow. He I just. You mean the mo- the motions are very organic seeming, and it's not attached to anything. Like some of them have like some yeah. kind of like suspension system above them. I mean the this arms are a little rigid. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's, that's pretty cute. Stuck <laughs> the landing. And does little like <laughs> Olympic I did it yes. hands. So yeah, that's um that's the story of the men in black. So there's another a whole another level of what UFO stories can take the form of. Yeah. Which is, you know, once you've seen something that you weren't supposed to, then other weird stuff can happen to you. Right. The, and those are really the three main components, at least in my experience. You see a craft of some kind or a light of some kind in the sky that you can't explain. You have the first person encounter or mm-hmm. you don't where you maybe bump into the alien or you're abducted and then exactly the afterward where you may or may not be confronted by this strange person. I feel like those are the the three pillars of yeah. the ET experience. But now we have this, you know, tacit confirmation that there might actually be something out there. Yeah. So who knows how to take it. Right. And I think we'll probably dig a lot more into the depth of how exactly. to take that. With part two next week, where we will dig very deeply into yes. all of the, not just the weird, crazy stories that we have just told, but no, instead indeed. into the... Uh, Science of being alive. Oh, yeah. And all that, that means and what extraterrestrial life really entails. Right. Um, what, uh, what that could look like. Right. Yeah. So hope We hope we'll, you'll join us for that. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. Um, welcome back for 2018. 2018. Please feel free to tell your friends. Leave a you know a review or whatever. Please on, do uh, review. iTunes and spread um, the word. If you have any of your own stories about anything creepy or questions or comments or whatever, yeah, engage us, with us. Uh, you know, on our Facebook page or contact at superduperstitious.com. We'd love to talk to you. We're interested, guys. But in the meantime, we'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.